and welcome to Tiny and All That Air, the Philip Larkin Society podcast. My name is Lynn Lockwood and this is our final podcast of the year and I wanted to take a look back and a look to the future and just to get some updates on our guests from this year. It's been over a year since the first podcast was released on the 2nd of December 2019 and that first set of recordings spent all day in Hull with Eddie in the morning and James in the afternoon and I never thought these would be the first and only podcast recorded face-to-face by this time. I had plans to travel around the country with my microphone and notebook, but that didn't quite happen. And the actual weekend of lockdown, March 21st, was the weekend I'd arranged to meet David Quantic face-to-face at the BBC Studios in Manchester. I was so excited. But anyway, through the wonders of clean feed and squadcast and gadgets that can record phone conversations, I've met so many wonderful people that have uncovered fascinating links to Larkin, creative responses to Larkin, and thoughtful reflections on his life, poetry, letters, photography, and much more, as well as his contemporaries, such as John Betjeman, of course. And the COVID restrictions and general strangeness of the year has driven lots of people, myself included, to more listening to podcasts and just exploring what's out there in our virtual world while we wait to rejoin the physical world. My guest today is fellow trustee Rachel Gallatly, who joined me back in May of this year to talk about our love of Larkin and our shared experiences of becoming a trustee of the society back in 2015. We're also joined by some more former guests and new voices who have very kindly taken their time to record their reflections on the Larkin year and catch us up a little bit. So let's crack on, as they say in Sheffield. We're going to start with our chair, Graham Chesters, who was our guest in October reflecting today on some of the work of the trustees, as well as one of our valued trustees who sadly passed away at the end of 2019. Hello, I'm Graham Chesters, and I'm the chair of the Philip Larkin Society. I'd just like to offer some reflections after a rather odd year from the point of view of the trustees of the society. But Before I do, I'd like to say that I want to dedicate these reflections to the memory of Belinda Hakes, one of our trustees who passed away towards the end of December last year. Belinda had served the society for a long time in various roles as editor, as organiser of events, and as somebody who took on the responsibility, if you like, as an educator. And she did this with charm and energy and deep insight into Larkin's works. We still miss her. The trustees, as with all charities, have legal responsibility for the running of the organisation. But in this case, because we have no paid staff, the trustees also are responsible for managing the everyday work of the society. About a year ago, the beginning of December 2019, we were all looking forward rather innocently to celebrating the 25th year 
of the Lark in Society. We were to mark this on the special occasion of the June AGM. As we know, things turned out differently. But a year ago, we did hold an extraordinary general meeting in Hull, four members, to vote through a revised constitution. Now, this may not seem exciting stuff, but it is and was important to set the scene for the following 25 years. The meeting was held in Hull, and the formal part was accompanied by a presentation by a few trustees on where the society is at. What they concentrated on was a key duty for any charity, that is public benefit. How were we as a society reaching out to the general public to promote the knowledge and appreciation of the works of Philip Larkin? And there were several new ideas. Lynn Lockwood um, talked about a recent innovation of a podcast, which is just getting going. Kyra Piperides Jacques uh, was talking about the prospect of her electronic newsletter um, for members uh, and anybody else who was signed up to receive it. And there was presentation too on the journal about Larkin. And it was on that occasion that Professor James Booth, who's been our brilliant editor and co-editor for many years, announced his intention to step down and that his last about Larkin would be the April edition in 2020. It seemed as though the future was promising. Um, the number of members at that point was approximately 240. Somewhat down on the high point a good 10, 15 years ago. All our ambitions expressed at that meeting, of course, have had to be revised to some extent after the uh, outbreak of the pandemic and the various lockdowns. April saw the publication of About Larkin, number 49, which just scraped through before total lockdown and the closure of um, printers and laminators, etc. The most dramatic effect, I suppose, from the trustees' point of view of the pandemic was that we could no longer hold our annual general meeting in a normal way. And it was an important annual general meeting because it was a point at which our then chairman, uh, Professor Eddie Dawes, stepped down after 25 years in that post. He's the first chairman of the society and up until that point, the only chairman of the society. And he had done an absolutely superb job. The other person stepping down to the trustee was Professor James Booth. 
So there was a process of renewal and we had some new trustees, Julian Wilde and Julian Henry, and there was some changes of role. I became, uh, I was delighted to become the, the new chair and Lynn Lockwood became the new deputy. The huge task that had been um, promised for 2020 was the publication of an, a super anniversary issue of About Larkin, uh, an extra publication available to members and non-members. The issue was a mammoth undertaking for James and Kyra, and James in particular took a great deal of effort to produce an extraordinary introduction which covered the main highlights of About Larkin in its 25-year history. Um, that anniversary issue was successfully published first digitally and then in printed form and has been very well received. The annual general meeting took place by post and by email, but it uh, nevertheless did take place and it set the scene for a new group of trustees to throw their energies into innovation, sometimes prompted and accelerated by the restrictions of the pandemic. What's on the horizon not too far away is 2022 and the centenary of uh, Larkin's birth. The society has already got events that are firming up into reality and they're working very closely with our sister charity, Larkin 100, established early this year to include other partners such as Coventry, who will be celebrating their year as City of Culture, um, the University of Hull, uh, the Hull City Council. We'll be involving the universities in Warwick and Coventry. There's a lot to look forward to, and um, we'll be keeping you informed. So thank you for listening. Yeah, so we're, we're going to um, look back on our Larkin year. Okay, cool. So it's been uh, been a bit of a funny year, uh, one way or another. But I think all the kind of strangeness of this year has been, in a, in a funny sort of way, really good for the society. As uh, Graham said, you know, it's forced us to innovate, if nothing else. And I think it's made us go in some really interesting directions. So how have you found your Larkin year? Um, yeah, no, I totally agree with Phil. I think uh, we've had to find a new way and that is actually really exciting because if you think back to when everything started kind of closing down, um, March all got a bit dark, didn't it? I even had to shut the shop for a while because um, of that kind of added risk of going venturing out to the post office and yeah. handling stuff. I mean, there was a, a time when I wasn't even ordering anything from, you know, other shops myself because of not wanting the postman or woman to make it an unnecessary journey. So that was pretty dark. But then, yeah, actually, come the spring, there were lots of 
um, new exciting things happening. So obviously Kyra's newsletter, I think, and the quiz and that sort of breathed a bit of life um, back into things. We did our podcast yeah. back in May. That was a lot of fun. Everyone was, yeah, everyone was doing quizzes, weren't they? So we yeah. did a quiz and that, that was good. Yeah, it was hard. It was super hard. It was really hard. In <laughs> fact, I was. Uh, it was suggested I was trying to test people unnecessarily. Um, but, you know, it was good fun anyway. The people who had a go and sent their answers in really enjoyed it, I think. They just got yeah. their books out and did a bit of study, and it was it was good fun. We'll probably do some quizzes in the new year. I'd like to do a sort of Zoom quiz, like a pub quiz, and maybe not all just about larking questions, but maybe sort of general knowledge about Hull or, I don't know, Martin Omis or be good. You know, photography or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I've got a quiz on Maeve ready and waiting to go. Yeah, see, that's hard. You You tried me a few questions. Yeah. And I thought they were easy ones as well. So that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, then we obviously, um, thinking about maybe towards late summer, we launched the Larkin face masks. You sorted out picture and the and the, the phrase on the on the mask. That was all good. They sold really well. And um, different countries as well. Um, did we receive a photo quite recently of someone in Australia? In Australia, yeah. Um, Wait a yeah, I remember posting that to him, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. great. And Gavin wore his mask out in Italy mm-hmm. and had a few people <laughs> ask him about who, who the poet was and a few, you know, English people that knew Philip, who Philip Larkin was and were asking him about the face mask. So, yeah, that's that's been really good, actually. I had, to, yeah, I had a teacher write to me and she ordered one for herself and her English teacher friends and they were so made up that they could wear these to work. <laughs> so that, that went down really well. Um, um, yes, my uh, my daughter's English teacher, who who we both know quite well, he was wearing his Philip Larkin. Well, I bought him uh, that as a present, you see. Oh, did you? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So it's cheating slightly, but yeah. Getting it out there. No, it's really good. Yeah, he was he was totally made up with that. So, <laughs> and of course, one of the most exciting things was yesterday. How good was yeah. yesterday? Our our event, our December. Yes, yeah, so yesterday was the fifth of December, our first full online event. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was superb. So this, if you missed it, uh, you missed a treat there, guys. It was uh, basically John Osborne uh, presenting and introducing three uh, relatively new voices, I would say, so three female poetic voices, and it was just fascinating. Um, I thought that uh, John was a superb presenter. And yeah, it was it was lovely to hear all four of them talking about um, their own poetry, uh, making those links back to Paul and and Larkin. It was it went down it went down some interesting alleys, didn't it, Lynn? Yeah, it did go. It, uh, we were looking at kind of marginalisation and and kind of gendered ideas around uh, poetic structure. It's quite academic at times, which was really nice um, because we had the privilege of having um, John and. Uh, you know, they are academic writers. Rachel Allen has just completed her PhD, I believe. Um, so, yeah, it was it was excellent. And I just felt a really good energy to it um, and lovely to see something like 75 people coming along, which you wouldn't yeah. get at many sort of poetry events, you know, in, in the community. So uh, really good. And I think we got people from overseas at that as well. Yeah, definitely we? did. Yeah. So, yeah, mm. big, big thank you to John and Mary. Uh, and Rachel and Rachel, that was superb. Yeah, they were so generous with their time. Um, and John just really, like, just helped us get all this off the ground, really, right from the beginning. Um, and, uh, yeah, 
it's, it gave me a lot of confidence for doing more of those kind of events in, in the new year. And I think, uh, I think what the society is going to hopefully do is any, you know, we want to go back to face-to-face events. Obviously, we want to see people, um, you know, in Hull or wherever we choose to go. But uh, I think there should always now be an online some kind of online option that it's filmed um, or live streamed or whatever so that anyone can come, not just the people that can get to Hull or Coventry or London or or wherever we might happen to be. Uh, And I think that is going to be an excellent way forward for us. Yeah, agreed. Definitely. And uh, the uh, recently as well in December, the merchandise has been flying off the shelves, I hear. It has. I'm (laughs) Pretty much every other day, I saddle up lots of parcels and take myself off to the post office. Um, so Ryan, the guy who works in the post office, me and he are on first name terms. Uh, <laughs> big goodies now. Um, yeah, so tomorrow I'm off again. With the Have you got him signed party. up as a member of the society um, yet? <laughs> don't really think poetry is his thing somehow. But, uh, <laughs> but no, he's a lovely young chap and he always helps me out. So um, yeah, so oh, at the moment, um, lots of orders for Christmas cards, as you would expect. I yeah. think particularly the uh, and now Christmas cards, um, as if we haven't got enough to put up with. Um, I think <laughs> they really have struck a chord with the general public. Um, yeah. We've had some more reprinted because I sold out. <laughs> they were that popular. Yeah. But yeah. also the bread and butter and ones as well. I shan't mind what we have, um, even if it's bread and butter, as long as there's enough of it. They're selling oh, very really? well. Yeah, um, and the Denison, of course, that beautiful yeah. snowy um, picture of um, 32 Piss Park. Yeah. yeah, that's a great... And again, uh, just as John Osborne's been really um, generous with his time and he approached us with an idea, the same with um, the artist Tony Denison, um, who, you know, is a, a, a renowned artist. He's exhibited around the world. And uh, he approached us because I know he's got some connections with people in the society uh, and offered to do all this and did it all for us, um, which was uh, amazing. And, and he went out and, and actually did the paintings, as you know, especially for us. Uh, so, yeah, it's a really beautiful painting. I, um, I sent one of the cards to my mum uh, and she, she thought it was absolutely lovely. So mm-hmm. she grew up in Hull. So she knows Pearson Park. So, oh. That's very nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice and big as well, aren't they? They're yeah, they're lovely. Beautifully printed. Yeah, my um, my boyfriend's mum and dad had their wedding reception in Pearson Park. Did they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, in, in what building? So, no, it, just in the gardens. Oh. So they had it outdoors. They had it in the, yeah, just in the gardens. Oh, isn't that lovely? So I need to send her one of those. I need to buy some, actually. Oh. Yeah, so it's got a very special connection for my my partner's family. Oh, that's lovely. So actually, in some ways, I do feel a little bit like Larkin and, and a hermit. At this time of the year, there's just too many, usually, too many social engagements, too many invitations, two dinner, uh, two parties, two people's houses, um, mm. and it seems like there's never enough time uh, for oneself. And um, I was thinking that actually this year, my partner and I, we're not going anywhere, we're not seeing family. Um, we're not seeing friends. We're being very safe, very careful. Mm. Um, I work in um, four different schools, which I visit six times a week. Um, my partner is also a teacher, so he's in school every day mm. with you know hundreds of teenagers. We are, we could be 
potentially super spreaders. And so we are seeing no one and going nowhere. And I thought actually Larkin would probably quite like this, um, this time for solitude. And of course, that made me think of uh, Verdus Societe. Yeah. say that <laughs> <laughs> we get worried about saying it because uh, the chair of the society is a is a professor of french literature <laughs> so we know we know graham's not going to be happy yeah. <laughs> say Verde society. yeah he's corrected me already before he's even tumbled out of my mouth <laughs> um but yeah so i was thinking about all those face it forks and faces that i am avoiding uh, this year yeah. and trying to find a positive in that because of course it's quite sad that i haven't got the choice <laughs> really um yeah but yeah. um yeah i thought that that was a um a good poem to to sort of um to revisit i don't know if you want to have a little look do you want to read it out the whole thing yeah read the whole thing yeah that's what we're here for okay my wife and i have asked a crowd of craps to come and waste their time and hours perhaps you care to join us in a pig's ass friend day comes to an end gas fire breathes the trees are darkly swayed. And so, dear Warlock Williams, I'm afraid. Funny how hard it is to be alone. I could spend half my evenings if I wanted, holding a glass of washing sherry, canted over to catch the drivel of some bitch who's read nothing but witch. Just think of all the spare time that has flown straight into nothingness by being filled with forks and faces rather than repaid under a lamp hearing the noise of wind and looking out to see the moon thin to an air-sharpened blade. A life, and yet how sternly it's instilled. All solitude is selfish. No one now believes the hermit with his gown and dish talking to God. Who's gone to? The big wish is to have people nice to you, which means doing it back somehow. Virtue is social. Ah then these routines plague at goodness like going to church something that bores us something we don't do well asking that ass about his full research but try to feel because however crudely it shows us what should be too subtle that too decent too oh hell only the young can be alone freely time is shorter now for company and sitting by a lamp more often brings not peace, but other things. Beyond the light stand failure and remorse. Whispering, dear Warlock Williams, why, of course. (laughs) A thing I really love about this poem um, is the way in which, um, I think it might have been James Booth that pointed out how you've got those very strong rhyming couplets at the beginning mm. with the craps perhaps and the friend in the end. Mm. And then you actually get a sort of shift in rhyme scheme that's kind of a little bit confused and all over the place um, in the middle of the poem. And yet at the end of the poem, and of course, um, talk a little bit about why maybe those shifts um, occur. At the end of the poem, he comes back to those very strong couplets uh, with the brings things remorse. And, yeah. and I really, I really like um, that idea that within the poem he does kind of change his mind. He sort of he's going to refuse the invitation, and actually, at the end, it's not a poem he starts to write; it's an acceptance to it's an so invitation. Um, but I, what I really love here is the, the imagery as well. This idea of, of the moon and the trees—it's almost as if solitude will actually bring these rewards yeah that um, you will have a poetic 
kind of moment and you will write something of a quality. And I think Larkin very much believed that he needed that solitude. He needed to be alone in order to be an artist. Um, yeah, yeah. And actually, of course, they those things don't bring that anymore. This is quite a mature poem. It was written... Uh, 1971. 71, yeah. Yep. So it was quite late on. And of course, he's going to, we know that he struggled to write and that muse wasn't there in the same way that it had been before. And actually, sitting under that lamp, you know, on that dark evening doesn't bring wonderful flurries of poetic brilliance. It actually brings thoughts of death. And, and there's a lot of darkness in this poem, I think. It's a really dark, sort of poignant poem. And, uh, you know, there's, I've read some analysis of it that talk about the kind of, it, he's like the near Christian, you know, that if he'd had the, the, the sort of solace of being able to go to church, that might, you know, if that meant something, that might have helped. Mm -hmm. But it's that sense of playing at goodness when you're in, in, in society, that, that being academic or being well-read or being uh, a church girl or whatever, sort of all been replaced mm -hmm. by just being superficial and just going to parties and just letting the chatter fill up your life rather than anything more more important more nourishing but like as you say there's an, an added poignancy because the the nourishing side is going for him as well like the, the solace of poetry is actually leaving him and he's very aware of that as he goes into the 1970s and that and that's part of high wonders isn't it there's a kind of bleakness in the in the collection as a whole that's right and then he manages to make it funny as it well funny. <laughs> i mean there's so many insults in it we've got fool we've got yeah. bitch we've got ass <laughs> uh, we've got ass you know it's really quite offensive um, i know yeah um, i thought motion made uh, quite a, a, a nice point um in his biography he uh, talks about the fact that actually uh, Larkin decides that he does need company because at least company, this is why he accepts the invitation, at least that will cancel out the loneliness. And yeah. much the same way I think that Larkin decides he needs work <laughs> because yeah. without work, yeah. we think about death. So, you know, um, company and work, I think, if we think about toads, for example, um, I think actually play that same part for Larkin. It stops him thinking about his own mortality. Yeah, and earlier on in the year when I um, I looked at um, Best Society in the podcast with Kyra, which was an unpublished poem, like he, you know, he wrote when he was very young, and it's basically this poem, um, a prototype of this poem, uh, and then because he chose not to publish it, he was then able to sort of revisit the kind of themes of that poem. But then you see how his how he has changed in that, that intervening sort of 20 or 30 years. And, uh, you know, it's become a much a much more troubled kind of argument with himself about should I go into society or should I stay at home? Um, because in the early poem, in Best Society, it's like a celebration of being on your own. But by the time you get to this one, there's, there's loads more happening. It's not as simple as that. Yeah, it's not solitude anymore, is it? It's loneliness. Yeah, and they're two very different things. Yeah, and when he says about only the young can be alone freely, and you think, was he looking back to his own early poem and, and talking back to himself in his 30s when he could be alone freely? It's a, it's a great poem, in a pig's ass. That's one of your favourite phrases, isn't it? It is. 
yeah the head of english that you referred to earlier we use that um yeah in our <laughs> general address to one another quite quite often yeah i think you're probably the only two people who this is one of the favorite larkin quotes yeah. <laughs> quite an, quite a deep deep cut absolutely <laughs> Yeah, and we, we like this poem as well because um, we like the idea of sort of changing your mind, challenging yourself, challenging your own assumptions, um, may, maybe being forced away from old kind of routines and old ways of doing things. And we thought, actually, the end of this year, uh, 2020, it's something we've all had to do. And it's a theme in Larkin poetry that uh, yeah we certainly haven't really thought about in the, in the podcast. And we thought it made some interesting links between a few of the poems that we haven't um, talked very much about before. So mm. we will um, do a little bit more poetry reading in a bit, but I think we're going to listen to a couple of our uh, contributors who very kindly took some time to record their reflections. So we've already heard from Graham Chesters. Uh, so we're going to listen to two in a row. They're just a couple of minutes each. So first of all, we're going to hear Chris Walsh, who was a guest back in April 2020. Me and Chris had a bit of a difficult time recording this. Um, Chris had a family emergency in the middle of one recording, and then he had a coughing fit <laughs> in the middle of another recording. Oh dear, yeah. I don't know whether Chris just got bored halfway through and was finding reasons to, to get out. <laughs> <It's like that. laughs> uh, no, no, of course not. Um, but, you know, at the time, we, we were really excited about uh, the launch of his, his novel that quotes, um, well, he'll explain that anyway, and, and what's happened with that. Uh, and then the second uh, contribution is from um, James Tarry. Uh, and if you are on the Twitter, you'll probably be familiar with his name. He comes up quite a lot uh, and he gives us his lovely reflections on uh, the, the challenges and consolations of his Larkin year. I think I recorded our interview, or rather you recorded our interview uh, back in February. And that absolutely seems like a different world, doesn't it? Now we're in December. Uh, 2020. The only similar thing about it was that I remember when we recorded it, it was dark outside and it was maybe only about 5 pm or something. So we've gone full circle in the normal change of seasons, and yet everything is completely different. And it's been just the weirdest year, uh, hasn't it? I'm sure everyone would agree with that. Um, it's odd to look back at the summer now in its entirety. In many ways, we've all become hermits this year. So uh, Larkin was uh, kind of ahead of his time, <laughs> being the hermit of Hull. Um, I'm most definitely the hermit of Strood, Kent uh, now. Um, it's not all been bad this year. There have been many good things about it, uh, actually. I've, I've discovered my area this year, and I've really got to like it. I'd lived here for a couple of years before uh, this year happened, and um, I live in a very urban place, quite densely packed, and I just hadn't really explored the surroundings properly. And this year gave me a chance to. So the, the weather in April, for example, was beautiful, and I spent a lot of that time uh, when I wasn't working. Uh, luckily, I've had work this year. Uh, I spent a lot of time walking in the hills in the, the, the North Kent Downs and just couldn't believe that, you know, five minutes away from my house, there was all this, all this beauty. 
um, it kind of made me uh, my perennial missing of the North Yorkshire Moors uh, a little bit uh, easier. But it's been tough as well, hasn't it? Um, it was easier when the sun when the sun was up um, and it was summer. But as we've gone back into winter, it's become difficult. Um, obviously, back into lockdown as well. So they're kind of like groundhog days, aren't they? There's not much variety or not as much variety in our days as uh, we've had previously. And this is obviously something that Philip Larkin was, was musing on in many of his poems. Um, difficulty sleeping uh, as well. I have found this year that I've been waking up at really, you know, really early in the morning and, and watching it get light around the, uh, well, I haven't got curtains, but blind. Uh, and thinking about time moving, time passing. It's, we've had a different experience of time this year, I feel. And I just, I think, I feel it marching and not being able to see my my wider family. My parents live up in uh, Yorkshire. Uh, we're both in tier three uh, areas uh, right now. Uh, I won't see them for Christmas either. And my parents are in there. They're very healthy in the mid 70s. Uh, but I, I think we all feel time passing. And there is behind uh, everything that's gone on this year. And thank God we're all healthy, uh, me and my family, uh, touch wood. But there is this this darkness, isn't there? There's a, a feeling of foreboding and what will the next year bring? So I feel like Britain's been in a in a larkin mood for for uh, parts of this year. And now, as I say, as we get back into winter, particularly so, uh, perhaps. It's affected... Uh, uh, the, the pandemic has affected the, the publication of my, my novel, The Dig Street Festival, as well. Uh, my, my publisher, Louise Walters, uh, recently compared it to uh, Pollyanna. Now, I hadn't seen Pollyanna, but I looked it up uh, before my time, you understand. Uh, I looked it up, and uh, yeah, I, I think it, it, it possibly is. My character, John, uh, in my novel, is a good egg who seeks to make the world a little bit uh, nicer to itself and its inhabitants uh, in in East London. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm glad I wrote a Pollyanna book, actually. Um, I wonder if Pollyanna is one of the, uh, the seven story types. But the novel was originally going to be published in uh, this, this month, actually, uh, December. And we, uh, Louise and I, put it back to March. At first, uh, twenty twenty one, and now we've we've uh, put it back to April, April the fifteenth, twenty twenty one. I'm happy about that. I I still don't think uh, we'll be able to have a knees up uh, next April, even if the government allows it and does their sort of. Uh, you must decide yourself what's safe. Uh, pushing blame approach. Um, yeah, I don't think we'll be able to. But actually, recently. Uh, I attended a uh, a Zoom book launch for Kath Barton's book, uh, Sweep of the Bay, uh, her nov novella. And actually, it was very enjoyable. Um, it was quite good. It was a, a digital knees up, uh, actually. It was great. So actually, yeah, that, that, will, that will do me uh, if that's what we have to do. And then we can have a, a proper knees up uh, later on in the year. We're looking for reviewers. 
uh, as well. It's actually just gone to print now, so the advanced copies should be with Louise and I by the end of December, and we're looking for it to be reviewed far and wide. It's literary fiction, uh, humour, satire, and uh, it's about a, a DIY store worker who plans nothing less than a love revolution in uh, East London uh, with some element of success. And uh, the the novel uh, quotes a Larkin poem uh, in full uh, with kind permission from Faber, Home is so sad, which uh, which is a uh, one one of one of his best. I think we all we all agree. I'm James, and I've been a Larkin fan since my late teens, which is a long time now. What the Philip Larkin Society has done this year has been a firebreak between business, politics, and disease. The social media and the magazines have been a necessary distraction to adapt to what Larkin put for the Silver Jubilee in times when nothing stood but worsened or grew strange. There was one constant good. He did not change. For longer than I can recall, whenever an ambulance passes, I've thought all streets in time are visited. This year there have been so many more visits. On the rare times I dragged myself out for a constitutional walk in the park, with the blurred playground noises. There is the consolation of poetry in the background. This has been a year without cricket. I'm not summer-born, but I'm summer-loving, sitting at the county ground or at a test match, like Larkin did at Leicester or at Lord's, as a balm to my soul. It's impossible to get stressed watching the timeless play on a warm summer afternoon. So that's been a big loss this year. With the white noise of pandemic and insane politics, it's not so easy to delve into the long read of a novel. But there's always poetry, particularly the squibs, the afterthoughts, such as the mower. And perhaps unusually, we met at the end of the party. The podcasts put out have been a welcome distraction. Particular mention to the James Booth episode, so I must have listened to all podcasts two or three times, maybe more but certainly James Booth's four or five times. So that, in brief, has been what's important with regard to Larkin and the Philip Larkin Society for me this year. It's really nice to hear um, from Chris again, and uh, I've kind of followed the fortunes of his book and, and the, the independent press that he's part of, Louise Walters, and uh, they've been really supportive of the Larkin Society and the podcast, and, and they've done lots of tweeting with us so it's been really nice to make that connection and I'm really looking forward to reading the novel. Uh, if anybody's um, interested in taking up Chris's offer of reviewing the book if you just go onto Twitter or if you just google um, Chris Walsh or Louise Walters you'll be able to find the contact he's very good at um, getting in touch with people over Twitter and if you're still struggling just drop me an email and we'll, we'll get you together but I liked what Chris was saying about finding a bit more about your local area um, and going on walks that uh, you never went on before. I think we've all done quite a lot of that, haven't we? Yeah, definitely. I've <laughs> I've discovered parts of the Ribbon Valley I didn't even know were there. <laughs> so yeah, certainly. <laughs> I, I've got into bird song as well. I've got this app on my phone oh. called BirdNet, and so you record uh, any bird that you hear, and uh, yeah, it tells you what which bird makes that 
that noise, which has been fascinating. I didn't realise there's so many chiff chaffs in this. They're all chiff chaffs. I like a chiff chaff. <laughs> yeah, but I yeah, totally with Chris there. Yeah. And um, yeah, James Terry. Uh, I'm not a cricket fan, but he does make me want to go and watch cricket. <laughs> I think I'd like to go and watch a game of cricket with James yeah. Terry. Actually, yeah. we should do that next year. We'd ruin it for him, I'm sure, by yakking all the way through. What I really liked about James' contribution there was just this idea of poetry as consolation. Yeah. And I really like, guess obviously for him, the loss of cricket is, is you know, a pretty significant one. And I liked his links there to ambulances mm. and Samoa. I thought that was, uh, yeah, yeah, that was great. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. And, and I love that James is such a fan of the podcast. It's really nice to hear that some, you know, the James Booth episodes have been so popular um and they, they are great to listen to and uh, i've been looking i've had some brilliant guests and i was having a look at the um website that i use uh, to distribute the podcast and this year we've had around six thousand separate plays altogether wow that's amazing um across all the episodes so yeah it's really good congratulations to reach out to people thank you yeah oh have you also told listeners um about the exciting british library opportunity oh yeah yeah and um, so earlier on this year uh, we were contacted by um a, an audio archivist from the british library um and they are now archiving the podcast um they identify podcasts that they feel has merit to go into perpetuity it's somewhere in the british library um dungeons <laughs> <laughs> whatever they have in the british library so that's really exciting. Uh, it, it's great. So it's um, not in the British Library clouds then? It definitely is down in the dungeon, not up in the clouds. <laughs> I think they probably do have a cloud, yeah. So this is Sally Button. She introduces herself, actually. Uh, she's not a Twitter person, but she does engage with the society in lots of ways because uh, although I'm on Twitter all the time, there's lots of people that certainly aren't and, uh, you know, we, we want to... We hope we, we reach out to people in lots of different ways. Anyway, so Sally Button's story is a, is another story of a personal connection to Philip Larkin, and it's absolutely fantastic. I'm very, very jealous of her. I'm Sally Button and read English at the University of Hull from 1972 to 1975, when I was Sally Turner. I joined the committee of the English Society, which produced the magazine Green Ginger, named after Land of Green Ginger in Hull. And in 1973, after Larkin had edited the Oxford Book of 20th Century English Verse, I interviewed him with a fellow committee member. When I went to his office, I was told by his loaf-haired secretary that he didn't grant interviews, but luckily he came in and overruled her. As I was a secretary for nearly 40 years, with brief forays into teaching before I retired in 2013, I can only imagine what she must have thought of me. I didn't know anything about Larkin's private life until the publications of Anthony Thwaite and Andrew Motion came out 20 years later. They didn't alter my opinion of him. I have carried a torch for him ever since 1973. I didn't really know much about his poetry or novels as a student, but started to read his work after his death in 1985. I sent an article of my interview to James Booth, who was one of my tutors at Hull, as I saw he was journal editor of About Larkin and thought he may be interested. It was featured in the April 2015 edition. After James edited 
Philip Larkin Letters Home, I thought, oh, I've still got some of my letters home. So I sent him the one to my parents, telling them about the Larkin interview, which appeared in April 2019 about Larkin. It received a mention in the Times Literary Supplement in May. It was then that I joined the Philip Larkin Society, so I've not been a member for long. I have found membership to be inspiring, especially during lockdown, and was pleased to be joint winner of both the lockdown quizzes. I'm not a follower of Twitter, but really enjoyed the journals, newsletters and Lynn's podcasts. I live in Arnold, near Nottingham, and am in the literary group of the Arnold University of the Third Age. As we can no longer meet in person at the library, our tutor, William Ruff, has set up weekly sessions via Zoom and we've been studying the poetry of Seamus Heaney, Ted Hughes and, more recently, Philip Larkin. I proudly wore my Larkin T-shirt at one of them and gave the society a plug. I look forward to less restrictive times next year and hope to be in Hull and perhaps Coventry in 2022 to mark the centenary of Larkin's birth. Oh, it must have been so thrilling. You can hear the excitement in her voice, even now, just thinking back to 1973 when she actually went into the library and met um, Larkin. And I found the copy of um, About Larkin from 2015, where we published Sally's article. So it gives a little bit more information and it prints some of the article as well. And they call him uh, Dr. Larkin. <laughs> so he had all his um, doctorates and everything, his kind of uh, labels that he used, which is, is good. We, we don't really use that anymore, do we? We don't call him Dr. No, Larkin no. anymore. Um, <laughs> uh, and there's a really nice little poem that they published in the um, journal, the journal, which was the student journal, which was called Green Ginger. Uh, and it's called To Philip Larkin. And it says, I've heard so much of Larkin, but find it very odd that no one's ever seen him. I think he must be God. <laughs> <laughs> and if anybody's here. Written by John Saunders. <laughs> and of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's great. So, yeah, thanks so, so much for that, Sally. It's, that was really, really lovely. So uh, we're going to look at a poem, another poem now, which is probably about the least Christmassy poem you could think of, um, but it's one that we really like. So uh, Celts the Man um, from uh, Wits and Weddings. So do you want to tell us a bit about Selsman? Man? Um, the re- well, the main reason why I got to think about Selsman Man is because um, when we're talking about the Society, we were talking about him changing his mind, kind of almost thinking aloud in his poem and then changing his mind. And that made me think of other poems where Larkin kind of changes direction. In fact, in some cases, he's, he's even the vaulter of the poem, um, where he's he's got two conflicting ideas or... He's trying to, uh, he's thinking about two different conflicting attitudes and he's trying to reconcile where he stands. So if we just go back to Verda Society, which is kind of where this thought first came, he obviously thinks, you know, he's, he's, he's going to, to refuse uh, Warlock Williams' invitation. Um, it's quite clear about that at the beginning. It starts, I'm afraid. Then he goes through this whole sort of wrestle almost um, with, well, what's the alternative if I don't go? Um, and there'll be those feelings of darkness, darkness in the poem um, and loneliness. Mm. And then it's really towards the end of the poem, um, just before the final stanza, that he actually's the frustration here of this um, 
wrestling with these two ideas, with the oh hell. Um, and then only the young can be alone freely. And again, you've already sort of talked about maybe this is a reference back to his to his younger self. Um, so that, yeah, too subtle, that too decent. He's already rejecting uh, that as an idea. So that made me think self's the man. Um, did you want to read it? Okay. Self's the man. So this is from Whitson Wedding. So this, this was a much earlier poem than um, their society. Oh, no one can deny that Arnold is less selfish than I. He married a woman, stopped her getting away. Now she's there all day. And the money he gets for wasting his life on work, she takes as her perk. To pay for the kiddies clobber and the dryer and the electric fire. And when he finishes supper, planning to have a read of the evening paper, it's, put a screw in this wall. He has no time at all. With the nippers to wheel round the houses and the hall to paint in his old trousers and that letter to her mother saying, won't you come for the summer? To compare his life and mine makes me feel a swine. Oh, no one can deny that Arnold is less selfish than I. But wait, not so fast. Is there such a contrast? He was out for his own ends, not just pleasing his friends. And if it was such a mistake, he still did it for his own sake playing his own game, so he and I are the same. Only I'm a better hand at knowing what I can stand without them sending a van, or I suppose I can. <laughs> Brilliant, yeah, and again, there, the, the switch in direction, the thinking aloud uh, about these ideas in his own poem. Oh, wait, yeah. not so fast. <laughs> you know, I, I can't really think of another poet that does this in quite the same way. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think there are obviously early signs that he doesn't really mean what he says in the first part of the poem. Um, there's um, a great sort of sort of sense of irony, isn't there, in the, the way that, you know, the woman takes the money, but what does she spend it on? The kids' clobber and the dryer and the electric phone and all these things are obviously just pure luxury that, <laughs> you know, no family really needs <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, and, it, and well, the fact that he says he married a woman to stop her getting away, that's already selfish anyway, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. So the clues are right there at the beginning that he's like not been entirely serious about Arnold being better than he That's is. That's right. And there's also quite a playfulness in the uh, in the forced rhymes. I mean, the, the houses and trousers. Oh, God, that's so cheap and forced <laughs> and nasty. I love that. The nippers to wheel around <laughs> the houses. It really makes me laugh. <laughs> yeah, it, it is great. Oh, and it's just so simple as well, isn't it? I mean, all the language there, there's nothing particularly uh, poetic about... You know, in this kind of lyrical sense, there's nothing particularly um, high-minded about any of it. Um, no, it's great. But yeah, I do like that idea of yeah, take, using a poem to have an argument with yourself. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think it's, what's interesting about this poem is um, I think it can be quite easily misdrewed as being a bit misogynistic, you know, um, because the representation of the women, the mother and the wife, it doesn't seem very sympathetic. But it, and it only takes, you know, when they're talking about uh, they just tying down to looking after the kids and, and having mother-in-law around for the summer. But that's not a criticism of the women, is it? The man's attitude, that's right. Do I think that's why there's that long list of things that he's wasted his money on, which are, you know, absolutely essential for the well-being of his children? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think he's very firm on, on the side of the, of, the, of the women here. Yeah. And maybe that's it. Maybe Larkin did not want to become... 
um, a man like Arnold. And maybe he knew he was in danger of becoming exactly that sort of a man. That feeds into his decision to, to not marry and have children as well. Absolutely. And when you look at it alongside a poem like Afternoons, um, you know, you can see, you can see very clearly where Larkin's sympathies actually lie. It's not with the man that grumbles because he can't read the paper in the evening. It's the women in their estate full of washing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh, it's a great choice. Thanks. Rach. Thanks for <laughs> picking that one. I really, I really like to, it's a good idea to look at that one. It's really funny. It's not necessarily one that lots of people know, but... No, and, and I really like that. And I like the fact he's got a swine in there and a pig's ass in the other poem. That's right. So there's a nice, nice link. <laughs> <laughs> so when, when we do the nature um, podcast episode, <laughs> nature imagery. Yeah. <laughs> um, also just um, looking at uh, reactions to Larkin's poems. Uh, and another lovely thing that happened this year was uh, one of our members, uh, Sally Hawkes, got in touch to say she'd been writing pastiches of um, Larkin over the years and she'd put them together into, it sort of looks like a little, um, yeah, like it is like a poetry book, but uh, it's got that lovely um, sort of personal touch to it, uh, like a sort of fanzine or something like that, Re real sense of like labour of love, it's absolutely excellent. And uh, I was really, really pleased that she sent she sent a couple of copies to to us at the society, and I managed to get hold of one. Uh, and she, what she's done in this is every poem that she's um, pastiched or reacted to in some way, she's actually reproduced it, and then she's put her own poem next to it, uh, which is really good as well because you can see the two next to each other. And uh, she did uh, sell some man. Um, but she actually uh, wrote it from the point of view of the wife. Oh, great. It's, it's great, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll give you the first few lines so you can get a sense of, of what she's done, though. She's called the, the wife Ruth, but that's nothing to do with the actual Ruth in, um, in Larkin's life. It was just by accident. And uh, I think uh, also because it runs with truth, which is really good for her. She needs it in this poem. Okay, loves, it's called Loves Again. Oh, surely that's the truth that wanting children, Ruth had kids to hide inside the house when they all fought like cat and mouse. Love's dream of roses round the door, Ruth just wanting more and more. He's at work and wants a nest. Perhaps he tries his level best. At work he banters, what the heck? Then the nippers get it in the neck. Um, so she sort of turned it round the other way, mm. you know, and that the Ruth is... Ruth has got a dream of a lovely family home that she's trying really hard to put together. Yeah, it might be a bit idealistic and maybe roses around the door are a little bit out of reach. But she's living, she's aware she's living that double life. She knows he's, he's moaning about her behind her back and so-called banter and, and how he complains about the kids and everything else. So, uh, yeah, I thought it was good. Yeah, she knows that the photo albums are lying. Um, next yeah, to the TV yeah. about their wedding, yeah, <laughs> definitely. And I think, and I think that's um, that poem that uh, Sally's written is at the heart of Philip Larkin's poem. Yeah. She's not had to rewrite the poem at all. She's not changed the actual content in lots of ways. Mm -hmm. She's just given the voice to the to the wife. And even nippers directly taken. Nippers is a word we should bring back. It's not used enough. <laughs> nippers. The nippers. <laughs> Uh, it does it does put Larkin into the sort of nineteen sixties, doesn't it? Mm. The nippers. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. 
Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I'd like to say thanks to Sally for the amount of work she put into that lovely collection and sending it across to us. And so I hope she's still writing poems. Uh, it'd be nice to see some more if she's still doing them. Yeah, and actually, I've been uh, in touch with another very creative podcast listener member, Karen Nuttin, and we've um, set up a Larkin Embroidery Society. Did you know that, Rachel? No, there's I now did a Larkin not. Embroidery Society. That's yeah, there is only there's only two members. That's just me and Karen. <laughs> um, <laughs> but if anyone else wants to join, all you need is some um, yeah needle and thread and an embroidery hoop. You have to get that yourself. <laughs> we don't supply it, um, but it's free membership. Uh, but she, I, I did my stitching. Um, well, you've got some Larkin embroidery in your house, haven't you? Yeah, made by you. That I've done. And, and my sister, some by you and some by Jane, yeah. So I do have form with this. And then earlier on this year, I did some of the words from Best Society as a, uh, as a kind of embroidery picture that's now up on my wall in the office. And then Karen did um, some lines from Spring. Uh, it's really beautiful. It's so pretty with sort of flowers and things like that, the first four lines of Spring by Philip Larkin. And then after that, she took the cover. You know when um, James Booth was on the podcast and he was talking about the name of his book, um, Life, Art and Love? Yeah. And he said it wasn't until afterwards that somebody pointed out to him that it could have been read lie fart and love oh i thought he did that on purpose i can't remember oh, maybe yeah he did. i thought he said that was his little joke to himself uh yeah, the yeah. life art life art and love <laughs> so, talk about mandela memories um yeah <laughs> just forget things but i'll remember things wrongly but anyway whether it was intentional or not it's still great <laughs> it is really good so karen took the 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 drawing of larkin and his bike on the cover of um james's book and she retitled it life art and love in her embroidery uh, so we uh, have two more um, contributions to play. Um, so we're going to hear from um, Julian Wilde, who Graham Chester's mentioned uh, is one of our new trustees who joined us this year. Um, he has been um, a great, great new member of the committee. I mean, I don't, have we actually sat in a room with, Graham, uh, with Julian? I don't think we have, have we? No. We've only ever met him online. Yeah, we've met him online a couple of times. Yeah. It's a shame. Hello, my name is Julian Wilde, and I became a trustee of the Philip Larkin Society at this year's AGM. I've lived and worked in and around Hull for most of my life, so my connection with Philip Larkin, the city and the East Yorkshire countryside he cycled around is very real. I'm a lawyer, and I have to admit that my fascination with Larkin was based on his life and his interests rather more than his poetry. At the start of the COVID lockdown in March, I wanted to find out more about Larkin, so I asked the chair of the Philip Larkin Society, Graham Chesters, what I should read. I've known Graham for many decades, and he referred me both to the original Andrew Motion biography and the more recent biography by James Booth, Philip Larkin, Life, Art and Love. I decided to go with James's book, because it was written quite recently in 2014, and it was one of the delights of early lockdown. It's extremely well written, very readable, and as the title suggests, gives a well-balanced account of Larkin's life, his working career as a librarian, his complicated love life, his wide-ranging interests such as photography and jazz, his politics, 
and of course his poetry interwoven with the various stages of his life. James Booth was until this year a trustee of the Larkin Society. His book has enriched my knowledge of Larkin and brought me into contact with the other Larkin trustees, resulting in me joining them this summer. I can't recommend his book highly enough and I hope you enjoy reading it. To use uh, Julian's own words, the delights of early lockdown, that's just made me think. Um, there were many um, recordings. Julian recorded um, himself reciting a number of Larkin poems, put them on YouTube. They were fantastic. Um, yeah, check them out. Toads, um, Skin, Spring, Atgrass. I think I remember him saying that his um, son helped him out with some of putting some images together to complement the poems. Yeah, his son, um, Jack. Yeah, yeah, they're great. He's credited on there. Yeah, they're beautiful. So if you just Google uh, or just go onto YouTube and put in Julian Wilde Larkin. Yeah, they're all still on there. Yeah. They're all on there. Yeah, he's got a, a wonderful voice. Yeah, so that was definitely a, a, a positive of, of my, my year in Larkin. Yeah, yeah, that was great. Thanks, Julian, for sending that across. So um, we are coming to the end of um, this podcast and I think we've pretty much covered everything it, you know considering it's been uh, you know a lockdown and all that kind of stuff uh, and everybody's had a lot on their plate this year uh, and it's been a difficult year for all of us uh, it's also been a very um, yeah very busy year and, and a really good year for the society I think wouldn't you say yeah definitely um as you said, uh, right at the very start, and I think uh, we're going to hear a few more words about this when we play the final clip today, um, but it has made us um, be innovative and find new ways of promoting uh, the life and work of, of Larkin. Mm. Yeah, and uh, I think, you know, we've got a lot of uh, potential for some really fantastic things to happen next year, that things that we're already starting to plan, and as always, things that come up, you know, just sort of lovely, unexpected things that happen like this year like the for me the embroidery uh, David Quantic's involvement actually I've really enjoyed that yet this year that we've got David on board as a as a member and uh, his poem about Larkin and Amos yeah <laughs> uh, being like uh, Iggy Pop and David yeah. Bowie uh, which I thought was fantastic uh, and and also for me this year just learning so much the podcast has been a year of learning for me not just you know what buttons to press on the computer although i feel like i'm still learning that um but also you know like the betjeman i've learned so much about betjeman and, and all the reading that i'm doing for next year future podcasts i'm learning more about sydney bechet barbara pym um kingsley amos and all different kinds of themes in in the poetry that's coming up so we, we're planning a, uh, we're in the early stages, aren't we? Thinking maybe doing a podcast about uh, direct address poems. Yeah. Uh, and having a podcast that really looks at poems in a lot of detail, because I think that's what we like doing the best. We do. But a, cl but a close reading. A bit close reading, close yeah, reading. definitely. So uh, we're going to end with uh, Philip Pullum. Uh, he will be familiar to listeners because he, he was a guest on the podcast earlier on this year. Uh, and... Uh, we hope he'll he'll come on again next year um and uh, he's just very uh, he, i just we thought we'd end with phil because he has a, a a lovely way of drawing together some of our hopes for the future for next year and for 2022 
Um, so we thought we'd leave the final words with Phil. So thank you very much. and Happy Christmas, everyone. Yeah, happy Christmas. Thanks for listening. See you in 2021, won't we, Rach? Yeah. Bye. 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 <laughs> 2020 has not been the best of years in which to begin planning a major Larkin centenary involving a series of face-to-face events across the whole of the British Isles, which was my vision way back in January. Even then, two years seemed a relatively short time period in which to do all of this. But we were beginning to get some momentum together. The fact that Coventry, Larkin's birthplace, was to be a very worthy city of culture in a year's time added further excitement and urgency to the cause. And when we had a meeting with the Arts Council in Birmingham at the beginning of March, bringing together some of the major players in this enterprise, I felt a real sense of direction. Things were about to happen. Things were getting off the ground. Well, we know what happened after that. It proved to be the last face-to-face meeting I'd take part in this year. Everything else has been by Zoom. But... If 2020 has done anything positive, it's led us to think sideways, up and down, outside of the box, and to find different ways of communicating with each other and getting things done, albeit at a distance. And inevitably, this has influenced a lot of our thinking about what Larkin 100 might look like in 2022. And one thing is certain, even if things are looking much brighter by this time next year, there's bound to be a considerable online digital presence for what we do in celebrating Larkin's centenary. But that's an exciting opportunity, and one that we're already beginning to take advantage of within the Larkin Society, beginning with the December event. One of the great advantages of being online, of course, is that it will enable us to bring together people from right across the world. And the creative opportunities which the digital world offers are enormous and really exciting. Like so many people, I've woken up too many times this year at 4am to soundless dark. But I've tried to use that time to draw on Larkin's inspiration in other ways, try to think more positively and creatively about everything. Another lesson this year has taught us, I think, is that we need to make the most of every day, in whatever way we can. And things have moved on, and are beginning to gain momentum again. We've now established Larkin 100 as a charitable organisation with its own board and with trustees from both within the Larkin Society and from other partner organisations and to engage with artists from across the creative industries to look at how they might respond to Larkin's work in new and different ways. We're in the process of putting in a research and development bid to the Arts Council to scope out an ambitious programme for 2022 And the fact that Coventry City of Culture Year will now start later and extend into 2022 gives further reason for us to make sure that Larkin is well represented there. With that in mind, we've begun work on a photographic exhibition called Larkin the Teenager, which will hopefully begin life in Coventry and travel on to Hull, as Larkin himself eventually did. I'm particularly excited by this, not only because I'm myself a Coventry kid, but because it will involve some previously unseen images of Larkin's youth and childhood years and will add new perspectives on these. And we hope these will engage the young people of today whose experiences are not entirely dissimilar from those that Larkin himself went through and wrote about. One of the most exciting elements of this for me personally is to focus on the places that meant something to Larkin, because he lived there or visited them, 
and because they had resonance for his life and work. That's a real driving force behind Larkin 100. I'd planned to visit so many of these places this year, but sadly I've only been able to do that via the internet. Next year I hope will be different. Next year I intend to make up for it. Next year I want to retrace Larkin's steps in the Scottish Highlands, revisit his Belfast haunts, take the bus journey that he and his mother used to take every Easter from Loughborough to Lichfield to visit the family graves, a journey which used to involve a total of eight changes of bus. And I want to take a holiday in Sark, as Philip and Monica used to do, where there are no buses or cars. Will this be possible, I ask myself? Well, we shall find out. But I hold on to hope, and I hold on to these words. It will be spring soon. It will be spring soon. Literally the day after Rachel and I had recorded the show, I was contacted by Lee Bird and Esther Johnson from the wonderful Ships in the Sky project in Hull. They were guests with us earlier on in the year, and they had also sent in a contribution to the show. But their recording had taken a wrong turn in and had been languishing in the spam box. So I'm really pleased to be able to play it for you now. Here's their catch-up on all their news from Hull and some news of some outrageous graffiti that's taken place. Larkin would not have been amused at all. Thank you for listening. And if you would like to support the podcast, you can head over to the Philip Larkin website and become a member. And you can have all the benefits of being a a society member, which would be fantastic. Come and join in the conversation at Twitter, at the Tiny and All That Air Twitter account. And if you've got any ideas for future podcasts or would like to get more involved, please get in touch. Have a lovely Christmas and look forward to seeing you in 2021. How would you summarise how this year has been for the project, Esther? Well, it's been a really difficult year for many folk. And I think for creatives, it's all over the country. It's stopped them, you know, doing the, 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 you know, continuing with the plans that they want to do with projects. And of course, Ships in the Sky, it's uh, scuppered our previously thought out plans for this year and hopes to have an exhibition, etc. But what we've tried to do is just really try to respond to the situation in the most positive way possible. We undertook a campaign which we called Fish and Ships, which was the creation of a series of T-shirts as well as a, a vinyl turntable slip mat and a tote bag, which has the three ships, an illustration of the three ships on it, which I drew in response to Alan Boyson's beautiful mosaic. And part of the proceeds for these items has gone to charity, to food banks in both Hull as well as around the country. So a really kind of much needed charity initiative at this current time. So we tried to respond to it in that sort of positive light. And recently, because the initial run has been so successful, recently we undertook another run of T-shirts, but in the city's football and rugby team colours. And, you know, it's also enabled us to connect with a new audience Um, So it's really been trying to keep the momentum going and the interest in the building. And another aspect that we also did is we released a series of the oral histories, which we recorded. And we released those online. The full interviews are on the Untold Hull 
website and then the ships in the sky website has extracts of those so yeah try to respond to it in the most positive way possible really so tell me in the last couple of days we've had uh, there's been a surprising turn of events for the three ship ships did you want to tell us a little bit about that lee yeah, it's uh, it, it's been really interesting, actually. You know, something that's very, is a bad thing, has turned out to have a, a positive side to it, really. For anybody that doesn't know about the three ships, it's a, a massive 66 by 64 foot mosaic that depicts three trawlers uh, on the front of the former co-op store in Hull. And it's thought to be the largest mosaic in the country. And it was recently grade two listed. And the council are, are trying to save it. And literally overnight, there's a there's a really good street art scene in Hull and there's a, a gallery called the Bankside Gallery and there's a fantastic, vibrant, cultural street art scene. But somebody who's a tagger, I would guess, has written their tag and went in through the building, scaled the, the roof and uh, <laughs> presumably risked life and limb to tag the, uh, the tesserae, the mosaic. So, you know, I personally look at that and I don't see it as being a, a tag on a derelict wall. It To me, it's just tantamount to walking to the Ferrens and taking a Sharpie to a Franz house in there. That, you know, they're desecrating a piece of public art and, and, and something that represents our city's shipping heritage. And, it, it you know, it's an iconic cultural piece. So that's not great. But what's really interesting is the council, first of all, you know, kudos to the council. They're, they're running with it and they're, they're going to, to get it sorted, reviewing the security of the building and going to clean it up. But the outcry from members of the public has been unbelievable, really. You know, people are really frustrated and cross about it. And it, it's an artwork that, you know, a lot of people love. Some people really don't like and some people are just ambivalent about but it's really united people in terms of, you know, their thoughts about how, you know, very disrespectful to our heritage, really. So it's really good to to see that. And, and I guess that kind of goes back to what the project is about. You know, an aspect of your project is about capturing what happens in a moment in time in terms of the physical history of the building and its work, but also people's approach and attitudes to, you know, to the building. Yeah, I mean, the, the tagging, it's been quite amazing, the response about that and the outrage across the city. And I think the thing what we've found is that whether you love or hate the style of the mosaic, I think people have been outraged in terms of tagging over something that which is such an important part of the city's heritage. In terms of filming, we still haven't been able to film inside the building, but we are hoping to be able to do that next year. What are your hopes for 2021 and the project? So we've been continuing to gather some oral histories via telephone, etc., but also gathering artefacts and objects and still making contact with people for the project. So next year, we hope to be able to host the exhibition of the project um, as well as complete a film all to do with the history of the building and Alan Boyson's work. So a busy year ahead let's hope that we're able to do public events because it would be lovely to see some people we've missed lots of people but it's been great to reach out and still connect via social media 
And all of the information of that will be on our website and also on our Ships in the Sky 63 Twitter account. It's winter